0: John chapter two, starting verse one, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to them, they have no wine. Verse four, Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern here to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Verse five, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now And take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water that was made wine, he did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And the guests get well drunk. Then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. Say, good wine. This is the beginning of the signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Say that with me. Say, manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Would you pray with me again? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I'm praying right now that as the hearts of those that are in this place are hungry, that they would not leave the same. Lord, you're going to deposit something in them. You're going to breathe life into them. I declare freedom in this atmosphere. And as their hearts are postured, as their hearts are postured as one who's hungry and one who's dependent, Lord, poor in spirit, just dependent on you, Lord, we hunger and we thirst for you and I'm thanking you right now in advance for the change, the transformation, the wholeness, the healing the freedom that those in this place will receive because you love them Father and Lord I, I just am longing to see them encounter your love in a deeper way and so my heart is anticipating and I'm stirred up and I pray right now Father that their heart would be stirred up also Put your hand on the person next to you, they just her shoulder. Would you would you put your hand on the person next to your shoulder? Grab a sister or brother. And just I want you to pray this right now. Say, Lord, stir them up right now. Just stir an anticipation in their hearts right now. Listen, you can go anywhere. If you're hungry, it doesn't even matter. I mean, most of the time, for the most part, you can go to any church. If you're hungry, God's gonna give you something. I have something in my heart I'm going to give you. But if you're hungry, you're going to get more. You only get as much as you want. So pray again over the person next to you. Say, stir them up, Lord. Stir them up, Lord. You only get as much as you want. Pray in the spirit over them now for a moment, would you? And as you're doing it, I want to ask you to to just stir up your own heart. Like, fan the flame in your heart. Just let your Let your heart just get set ablaze with a hunger, a longing for God. I believe God is going to really bring refreshing. There are some in here that have ministries that that you've been serving God for years. I believe the Lord is going to give you just a fresh wind in your sails. And he's going to set you on a new course, a new day, a new season, fresh anointing, fresh oil, the times of refreshing those of you that are in here that just need, you feel like, you know what, this week was pretty whacked, and I came in this place feeling extremely discouraged. I'm telling you, you're going to leave encouraged and blessed in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I declare it over your sons. I declare identity over your sons and your daughters. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, you think that they're amazing. Every one of them. You Think that they're all amazing. You just love them. You're ravished over them. And just pray that that reality would just come into their minds and in their hearts in Jesus' name. Now shout out amen with with me, if you would, please. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Would you? Let's try that one more time. Come on, give God a shout of praise. So, you know, I woke up uh, with some things on my heart and the first service we've been doing a series on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Um, and this morning we broke down all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit and I was going to couple that with this message, but we just did not have time. So I'm going to preach a different message to you. Um, and if you want to hear the message on the nine gifts of the spirit, it'll be online. And so we'll have that there for you. But this morning this was stirring in me. I really feel like we need to learn um, that, that we're growing as the body of Christ. How many know that we're the body of Christ, right? We're individual members. This is a mystery. I mean, this is Paul is teaching the church this, but we're the body, but we're also becoming the body of Christ because we're, learning, we're looking more like him, right? Ephesians chapter four talks about that, that Jesus gave gifts to the church. By the way, Jesus' is gifts to your people, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Jesus ascended into heaven and he gave gifts to the church. They're called the ministry gifts. And he gave these gifts to the church for the edifying of the body, to become the body of Christ, to equip the body of Christ. In other words, that we are the body, but we're becoming the body. We're becoming more like him, right? We're maturing in love. How many can say amen to that? But you know that you can't mature in love unless you have some type of resistance. When you, if you want to strengthen one of your muscles, you need to have resistance, See, love is only an idea if the person that is loving is not willing to hurt or go through pain. If we're not willing to sacrifice or bleed for somebody else, then love is only an idea to us. But when love becomes real, it's when we're willing to bleed for somebody else. And there's something about this understanding as the body of Christ, that we become the body of Christ... Um, and, and we're maturing in love and i'll be I'll be honest with you um, you know even as a church we've been around for about four and a half years god we're growing church and God is doing some things and um, you know as a church family about a year ago we went through a rough time because our our whole we i mean we lost half of our staff there were some things that my wife and i we had to make decisions there's some moral issues and we had to make some decisions about other people and They didn't like the decisions that we made, and that's okay. Some people have to just uh, do what they feel is necessary. But as a community, we felt like we were doing the responsible thing as as we have fathers and mothers in our life. And, and, you know, there's stuff that goes on, but all of that is to mature us in love. How many say amen to that? And see, we're becoming more mature. I believe that our church is at one of the healthiest places it's been um, since we have... Planted the church, and it's been four and a half years. It's beautiful. We have leaders rising up. We have Sozo Ministries. We have CR. We have, uh, you know, community groups of so many different types. We have a multi ethnic people that come to worship Jesus. And I absolutely, I'm just so honored and blessed to be pastoring this church. Come on, can we thank God? But something was stirring in my heart. We're doing a series on the gifts of the Spirit. And as you know, we've been talking about the gifts. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit. But how many of you know we've been talking about what the the goal is, is we end up looking more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus plain to us. The Holy Spirit is not weird and spooky. He doesn't make Jesus more complicated. Amen? By the way, I think some of our charismatic secrets are a little bit Gnostic. And I think we need to be really careful. I think we need to understand that the Holy Spirit makes Jesus plain. And he makes him real. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus ate with prostitutes. Jesus ate with thieves, called tax collectors of the time. Jesus loved the broken. Jesus was the one who told the woman caught in adultery, where are your condemners? Go and sin no more. Like Jesus, the Messiah, who he is, being the perfect image of who God is, was the most relatable person that I can think of in the Bible. And we think about the Holy Spirit and we think about the gifts of the Spirit and it's almost as if sometimes our different cultures have made us unrelatable when really we should be more relatable. Amen? All right. If you agree with me, you can nod, you can shout out amen. If you amen me, I'll preach quicker and you'll get out of here sooner. You can watch the football games. But don't say it unless you really like the preaching. Just, you know, make sure you really, even if you like it just a little, amen. Come on, somebody. You can say, come on, somebody, you can say, that's good, you can say amen, but shout me down a little bit. And I I, I was reading this, I was thinking about this story, and I looked it up this morning, and uh, and I I feel like, uh, how many love weddings? Come on, who loves weddings? Who loves the wedding singer? I don't know why, I just thought it kind of went with it. Who loves wedding singers, right? Paige is a wedding singer. She sings at weddings. I do wedding songs. When we do ceremonies, I love doing a song. I love wedding. I love love. Who loves love? When my wife and I go to a wedding, I look at her and I'm like tears Well, I just love you, babe. I, I love weddings and I love love. Look at the person next to you say, I love love. It's okay to love love. Now, I love this story because Jesus is invited, it's probably a family member, we don't really know, the Bible doesn't give that, but there's a dilemma, they ran out of wine. Now that might not sound like a big deal, but that's a big deal. Now, you didn't know this, but culturally you may not understand here that if they ran out of wine, it actually could have caused division in the two families, like, this was a big deal, and Jesus knew it was a big deal. Mary brought it to the attention of the Lord, and she said, there's no wine left. And, and she didn't even need to ask Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what she wanted her to do. Now, I, I was thinking about this, and I, I love weddings. I love going to weddings. Now, I remember, and I know a lot of you are going to identify with this, that your first time dancing was at a wedding, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Come on, who's with me? It wasn't at a wedding? Well, it was for me. I was a very timid boy. But when all your relatives are drunk and everyone's out there looking stupid, you say, well, I might as well try this, and you just go for it, right? So we had a wedding, and we had this thing. Like, my dad my dad um, used to do this thing at a wedding. It was class. I mean, some of you guys have certain family members, like, okay, family reunions, the same kind of thing. You have a certain auntie that will get drunk and then they end up fighting. That's something else. But it, at a wedding, you know, you have certain people, they just get, they let loose a little bit, right? You ever, you, ha, you have those situations. I love weddings, and I love this picture because Jesus actually was concerned about this wedding. It was about a celebration of love and a celebration of a bride and a groom. Now, I, I, had, uh, I had the privilege of being a part of weddings where my father, who I don't see him here this morning. It wasn't your first service, um, but he might be watching online. So I had the privilege of seeing what we call the handkerchief dance. Now, the handkerchief dance, I mean, it was like the pinnacle of... Even, I know the first dance, the bride and the groom, it's like, oh, it's so sweet. But the handkerchief dance. So my dad got the handkerchief out. It was on. Everyone joined everyone join the dance floor. I'm, I'm serious. Who's ever seen my dad do the handkerchief dance? Is anyone in here? Right? Isn't it great? I mean, come on. He's an old dude. He's 60 something, but he gets out there and he's like, he gets a handkerchief and he's like, and the music's like, bang, chow, bang, bang, bang. he does this thing and he just, people let loose at weddings. Now listen, in the Hebrew culture, it was a celebration. It wasn't this stoic, like, oh, praise God, yeah, they're getting married, and you got to celebrate at weddings, right? I mean, it was a celebration. Now, I'm looking at this story, and I want to bring out a couple things, but I want to, I want to share my heart with you that I believe that when we go to church. And when we gather, like right now, it's it's like a a wedding celebration. Did you know that? Because the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit corporately. So the bridegroom, uh, the groom comes and he meets with his bride. And, And in one sense, how many know we are one with Christ? Can I hear an amen to that right there? In another sense, we're becoming one with him. And then ultimately, we will be one with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But what is this... This, this thing in the story about the wine, what is this whole thing about wine? Well, in the culture, obviously, that was an important part of the celebration. And I think Jesus knew how important it was because it, it, historically, there are scholars that say it could have caused a huge division. And it would have actually, how many know that sometimes in-laws um, have a lot more influence on the marriage than you think, right? Don't, don't look at your spouse right now. They're going to think you're talking about your mother-in-law, right? Or your father-in-law or something. I love my mother-in-law. I have the most anointed, prophetic, crazy mother-in-law in in the world. It took about five years for her to get saved. But praise God, she's here now. She's with it. Ooh, I'm just playing. (laughs) So there was something about this wedding that it could have caused a problem in the marriage. Let me tell you something. Jesus had covenant in mind when he turned water into wine. And, and Jesus had family in mind. He had celebration and love in mind. They were celebrating. It was a love feast. It was, now, now the Bible even talks about a love feast. Did you know that? That we come to the table of the Lord. And then in the early church, they had what's called agape feast. And we're just celebrating God. And we're celebrating his goodness. We're celebrating the covenant in Christ that we have with God. It's beautiful. But what is this thing about wine? And I was, I was thinking about this. And I believe that, when we come together as people that we are, we are literally celebrating. this. It's a wedding feast and we've come to meet with the groom as the bride of Christ. The Bible says this in in first Corinthians 12, I believe it's verse 13 that we drink of the same spirit. So in other words, when we come together and we celebrate, Jesus gives us his wine, which is his love. It says right here in, in verse 11 of John chapter 2 that he manifested his glory. What does that mean? He revealed his glory. You know, there's other parts that John talked about this and when it's when Jesus was praying for his church that his church would be one. And then he prayed that, that the church or the people of God would have the same glory that he had with the Father. Now, I want want to share something with you. When Moses said, show me your glory, you know what he was asking? He was, show me your kabod. Show me your riches, your weighty riches and honor. Let me tell you what the glory of God is. The glory of God is a revelation of his love. When we come together, sometimes we come together and we run out of wine. And sometimes it's because we carry an old wineskin, but that's another message. But... I, I want to tell you something that Jesus turns water into wine and the wine is the love that he has for, for you, his bride. And the wine that he has for you intoxicates you to be yourself, intoxicates you to be free, intoxicates you to be uh, to, to be who God made you to be. I believe that this is a picture of the bride of Christ. But it's also a picture of when we come together, we celebrate, we let loose, and and we also have this understanding that He is continually manifesting His glory to us. I want you to turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two, real quick. Paul is writing to the church, and this is this is a very important part of Ephesians because he he kind of gives a foundation of the purpose of the church. I I love uh, teaching this because. I I used to have an understanding that, like, the purpose of the church is to win the lost. Or the purpose of the church is to preach the gospel. Or the purpose of the church, us, what's my primary purpose? My primary purpose is to, uh, you know, equip the saints. Like, I've got to train people in the Word of God. I've got to equip the saints. Like, I, I always thought of those things being the most important thing for me to do as a pastor or even as a Christian. Like if I'm just a Christian, my primary purpose, I've got to win the lost. But Paul lays something out a little bit different in light of what I'm sharing with you about drinking of the Spirit of God. How many know that that uh, in, in the world, and most of you know what I'm talking about, you got to drink responsibly, right? Hello? When you used to party down and get drunk, don't look at me like you never touched... Come on. Some of you guys, you look at the wet. I've seen some of you at weddings. Okay. But you got to drink responsibly. Well, you know, in, in the coming together of, of our hearts, we have to steward the, the wine of God's presence. We have to steward what he's pouring out. He's pouring out new wine. It's precious. It's valuable. He's also revealing his heart and his love to us. And sometimes It's so that we can learn to be family. Because when Jesus did this, he had family and covenant in mind. It was a celebration of love. It was a love feast. And he turned water into wine, not just because he wanted to do a miracle and look cool, but because he actually cared about the wedding party. It's a little bit different picture, but I want you to read this verse with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Are you with me? Verse 20. Actually, verse 19. Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's talking about the church. You're you're members of the household of God. Now in the Old Testament, God told David, he made a covenant with David. How many know that God made a covenant with David? There was the old covenant, but then he made a covenant with David because David was a worshiper. It was a grace covenant. It was a grant covenant. It wasn't like the same covenant that he had with Moses with the people of God. It was different. It, that's why some of the rules didn't apply. And all the people were welcome in the presence of God. All the Levites in the holy place. You know, when he made the tabernacle, he set up the tabernacle for 33 years, which, by the way, was the same amount of time Jesus tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, according to 1 John 1.14. I'm sorry, John one fourteen. But David was was had a covenant with God. And God said this, I'm going to build a house, and I'm going to advance a kingdom. That's what he's doing with this church. We as the people of God, he's building a house. Say, I'm the house of God. We're the family, the family of God. We are the household of God. And he's building his house. And guess what? His house is growing. In other words, the body is growing the same way the, the your body grows. I have a, a little, how old is Layla now? Seven months? She's seven months old, and she has grown some... And how many know kids grow? I, like, I woke up the other day, and I had a 13-year-old. And it increased my prayer life. It's what it feels like. Like body, and, and the body of Christ is growing. But here's the thing. According to Ephesians 4, which, if I jump forward and look at other purposes that the church, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to edify the body of Christ, till we become like Jesus, to the mature stature of the fullness of Christ. But look at... Right here it says, "We're the household of God." Look at verse twenty. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now that those are Christ's gifts to the church, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Verse twenty-one and twenty-two is what I want to focus on. In whom the whole building—Who's the building? We're the building. We're the building of God. Right now, you can Jesus Duke someone and say, "Did you have fun at church?" Well, I am the church. I don't go to church. Well, that's true, but we're the church together not individual. And you can't be the church alone. That's a really good word. There's some people say, well, I'm just done with church. I'm going to be the church. Well, if you isolate yourself, the Bible says you're a fool. You seek your own desire and rage against all wise counsel. I had to smile with that one. Proverbs 18, one and two. So the Bible says here, we are the building We are the building of God. Here's what it says. Being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Listen, the primary purpose of the church is for you to be a dwelling place for God. It's about His presence. It's about coming together. And and it's like a wedding celebration. And we drink the wine of His Spirit together. And we celebrate. And we learn who we are and we learn who we are not and we learn how to love and we learn we learn to dance to the music of his love and his presence we learn to we learn to forgive one another yeah we learn we learn really what family looks like we learn what covenant really is when we drink the wine of his spirit it says that we drink of one spirit 1st Corinthians 12:13 And in the context, Paul's saying that we're one body, whether we're Jews or Gentiles. How many know that heaven is full of every people group? Say amen to that. You know, I love marriages that are black and white and Hispanic, and usually they make the most beautiful babies, and God does it on purpose just to kill prejudiced devils. Mixed babies are beautiful. Moses had a beautiful black woman for a wife. Because in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, nor male nor female, nor bond nor free. Come on, somebody. We are all one in him. This is the understanding that I see this wedding feast. Now, Jesus even gives us an invitation, a a story of an invitation. And the invitation to this wedding celebration went out to everybody. Everyone's welcome. I love Hispanic community. I love the black community. I love the Asian community. Come on. I love different people groups coming together and worshiping and saying, Jesus, you're Lord of all. And I bet, I bet you that's what draws the Spirit of God more than anything. It, just like in the days of Azusa Street, the walls of racism came down and they gathered. It was unheard of a hundred years ago. But blacks, whites, Hispanics, all people group gathered together to worship Jesus. So now this is a mark of being the household of God. Now a mark of a spirit-filled church is one that is unified, not divided. Now Paul lays this out in 1 Corinthians and he says, listen, there's divisions among you, but I want you to drink responsibly. I'm paraphrasing. When you come together and take the Lord's supper, you need to discern the body and you need to understand that that Christ was broken for you and you do it in remembrance of Him. And and He goes through it and He talks about the division of the body. Then He talks about the gifts of the Spirit. He says, don't forget that you're all members of one body and even the parts that don't seem significant, you need to give more honor to. This is the mark of a Spirit-filled community. It's a mark of love and acceptance and forgiveness. A Spirit-filled church should never make people feel like they're inferior because they don't operate the same way that we do. I don't ever, listen, I'm all about the gifts of the Spirit. you got to understand, you know me. Most of you know me well, right? My wife knows me well. We'll be driving down the street and I'm praying in the Holy Spirit. I mean, I love the gifts. I love every gift. I'm like Paul. He says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all y'all, right? I'm paraphrasing. That's what Paul said. I, I want to outdo Paul. When I get to heaven, I want them to have a little thermometer. And I'm going to say, Zach Wexler prayed in tongues more than the apostle Paul. I love the gifts of the spirit, but I never want to, to misunderstand. The purpose is to profit everybody, to see everyone be significant. Paul uh, escalates the whole meaning. And he says, listen, I'm going to show you an excellent way. Then he reads first Corinthians 13 and he says, without love, it's nothing. See, the wine that Jesus gives us, the wine of His Spirit, when we come together and we celebrate this oneness that we have with Christ, this oneness we have with one another, we're one body, individual members. It's, It's a revelation of His love. And sometimes we come together and there's no wine, and He wants us to get thirsty for it. Can I hear an amen to that? But when we get thirsty for it, we have to guard our hearts. We have to leave unforgiveness aside. We have to love each other. We have to forgive our betrayers. You know, like there's things that have happened in my life over the last 10 years, over the last few years that have really wounded my heart. And I've learned to love and I actually learned that that's just a part of love. Like without it, love isn't even real. You can't have pain absent from real love. It's not possible. That's why Jesus was willing to bleed because he so loved the world. He gave his son. There are things that there's times Chris is uh, today ministering healing and he's just releasing healing over people and I lifted my hands and I said, God, heal my heart. I said, God, I'm drinking the wine of your spirit and I need a greater revelation of your love. I, I need you to heal my heart. because i want to love like you love i want to i want to forgive like you forgive i want to want to be the body of christ i want to be if i'm just a toe i'm significant if i'm just an eyeball a hand whatever i'm a part of your body i'm a part of who you are and i want to mature in love i want to drink the wine of your spirit i want to learn what family is i want to learn what community is i've learned that even the need for community sometimes There's a very thin line between codependency and community. And I don't want to learn codependency. I want to learn community. I want to learn that I'm satisfied with his love, but I do need people. Like there's a healthy interdependence, right? But there's sometimes a fine line between that and codependency. So I want to learn family. I want to learn love. I I want to learn what we have. But as I'm drinking the wine of his spirit, I'm worshiping, and Chris is releasing healing just about 40 minutes ago. I'm saying, God, would you heal my heart? I don't want any scar to fester up again. I don't want to become bitter because you're maturing me in love. I'm learning that this wine that I'm drinking is important. This part of the celebration, we need the presence of God in our gatherings because it's what molds us together. Come on, somebody. It's what makes us one. It's what continues to tear down the walls that we choose to put up between each other. The Bible says that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing, you're not feeling me this morning, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But why do we let the stupidest junk separate us from God's love and from our love from one another? In our marriages, in our family. Well, she didn't say hi to me today. I'm offended. It's exactly what you look like when you do that too. But when I learn that when I come together, I'm celebrating that I'm one with Jesus and the Holy Spirit makes him plain. The Holy Spirit reveals his glory, which is a revelation of his love. And when I know that it's easy for me to love, I, I can't have a good marriage without being in the presence of God with my bride. I can't, it does not work. It will never work. And we can't come into the presence of God if we're harboring stuff against one another. It's an injustice for the whole reason that we get a drink of His love. Because it happened when we came to a mercy seat where there is no sin. Where Jesus dealt with it once and for all. And even those that nailed Him through excruciating pain, He said, forgive them, Father. Because that's the fountain that flows from His very veins. Forgiveness and willingness to sacrifice, willingness to go through pain for somebody else. Come on, somebody. That's the fountain I want to drink from. I don't want to drink from any other fountain. Do we realize that the the most gifted churches, the, the, the churches that function in the gifts are not ones that are elite or exclusive, but they're ones that are willing to lay their life down for somebody else. This is what I believe is behind Paul's narrative in 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, and 14. And the pinnacle of the whole thing is it's about love. God teach me to love. And I know that I'm going to go through pain. I'm going to go through hurts. But i got to keep my heart open. And I've got to get thirsty for your wine. I've got to get thirsty. Sometimes I come and I just drink water. And I I love water. And we need water. Amen. But in a wedding celebration, it is not fitting it can, we need the wine of his love, the richness that in song of Solomon says, your love is better than wine. There's something about the richness of God's love and his presence that changes our hearts where it's easy to release and walls come down the hearts of the fathers turning to the sons and sons to the fathers and daughters to the mothers. When we see restoration of families and marriages and a body and churches and ministries, come on, where the body of Christ becomes one. That is what Jesus's heart beats for. And it starts with us learning to drink from that fountain. John 7, 37, the great day of the feast. He said, if you're thirsty, John chapter seven, verses 37 to 38. If you're thirsty, are you thirsty this morning? You have people you need to forgive. I do. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. Forgiveness exudes out of who God is constantly. God is love. Jesus shed every drop of his blood. Every drop. Are you thirsty? Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. That's the fountain I want to drink from. Then he said, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. It's the same picture of the river in Ezekiel that flows from the temple. The river in Revelation, everything, the river, everything that touches the river is healed and restored. I want to be a river of God. We want to start seeing more people raised from the dead. Just become love. I want to start seeing people healed and blind eyes open. Just become love. Just become him. Become the body. Mature in love. Grow. And when when you're betrayed and when you're hurt, because you will be, and if you haven't yet, get ready and just guard your heart from offense, but keep it open to people. And love recklessly. When you're betrayed, just say, all right, God, you're teaching me to love. That's how we grow. That's how we mature. Amen. Are you thirsty this morning? And just release everything in your heart towards people that have hurt you. Close your eyes. Could be your spouse. Could be your father. Mother. Give be one of your children. Your sister, your brother, just let it go. Sister in Christ. Let it go. That they said this about me. They did this. They just don't know who they are. Don't hold it against him. God doesn't. Forgiveness at the cross. Don't retain sin. God doesn't. His mercy seat. There's no sin on the mercy seat. Let your heart become like the mercy seat. Let it go. So much freedom. Let it go. Just like exhaling. You cannot take in the fresh breath that God wants to give you unless you exhale. It's hard to walk in forgiveness if you don't understand the forgiveness that you have. Just let it all go. We let it go. God, we let it go. God, we let it go. And we come and we drink responsibly the wine of your spirit. You're uniting us as a body, maturing us in love. We're becoming more like you. We're growing. We are, we are the body and we're becoming a mature body. And Lord, your wine intoxicates us where we, uh, walls come down and, and we learn who we really are. And we let loose a little bit. It becomes easier to love and easier to forgive and easier to open our hearts to people. It's like sitting at a dinner table. Walls come down. Defenses come down. And we open our hearts right now. 100% we open. God, I pray for ministries all over this valley. Walls would come down. And apostles would, their hearts would be open and they'd honor one another. They'd esteem. Something so powerful in this story in John chapter 2, it says that they honored the master. The servants honored the master. Listen, a mark of a church that's spirit filled, that's drinking the wine of God's spirit, is one that always honors the master. And honor flows from the top. There's honor, 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 honor. Honoring churches, honoring ministries, honoring other leaders. Come on, somebody. Congregation honoring their leaders. Leaders honoring one another. Teach us honor. Because it's in a revelation of your glory we learn your love. It's that value, that weight. The Hebrew word, kabod, the weight, riches of God. I learn value. I learn my own value, and I learn my brothers and sisters' value. So, Lord, we receive right now. Would you just drink in his presence? Just drink it in right now. Thank you, Lord. That song that you closed with on the CD last service, that'd be great right now. Just put something on. I'm going to dismiss you. And I want you to, I want to do this right now. I want to give you an opportunity as we come to the table of the Lord. This is it. This is the culmination of this message. That as you walk up here, You have a number of steps to lay down all your unforgiveness. Even like sometimes you, you don't forgive yourself. Lay it down. God loves you. When you lay that down, you're going to pick up your significance and you're going to know the Father just delights in you and he's he's crazy about you God is ravaged over you he's crazy about you so ushers would you help me and we're going to come to the table of the Lord I'm going to have you I'm going to have the ushers dismiss you but as you come stay in the attitude of reverence and worship and and get, get a cracker and a cup of juice hold it together as you come, lay everything down. And then let's partake of the Lord's Supper together. In Jesus' name. The ushers will dismiss you in a moment.